This is Soul Searching, prestigiously crowned as this station's 2016's Show of the Year, right here on Gay SA Radio. It is our time each week to explore all spiritual and wellness matters that matter. My name is Tom Budge. Soul Searching is a penetrating self-examination of our motives, convictions and attitudes. I'm not shy to ask awkward questions, to poke holes in belief systems and to query the way the world taught us to think. My intention is clear. I will never ask you to give up what you hold sacred. I'll never expect you to accept my opinion as the only correct one. I do encourage you, however, to challenge your personal beliefs and thoughts to open up your mind to fresh ideas and free thinking. How you use these concepts to redesign your life is up to you, isn't it? Our show today peeks into the world of judgment and discrimination. We'll try to understand how these issues became part of the human condition, and we'll try to see what we can do to make a difference. There were some deeply disturbing newscasts about hate crimes of late. One that stuck in my mind was the recent murder of a 22-year-old, Noluvo Zwelindavo, more affectionately known as Vovo. Bulletins allege that up to 11 Kaya men burst into her home, dragged her away, murdered her, and left her body alongside the highway. The alleged motive? Homophobia. Hate crimes like this are sadly not new. Out LGBT, Wellbeing and the Love Not Hate campaign released a report titled Hate Crimes Against Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual and Transgender People in South Africa, 2016. Having surveyed 2,130 LGBTI South Africans, these are some of their findings. They found that most LGBT South Africans face discrimination from a young age. Many respondents said that they never reported cases of sexual discrimination to the police. Appallingly, 41% of those surveyed said they knew of someone who was murdered due to their sexual orientation or gender identity. And there's a dark and sinister side to many of these killings. The attacks are characterized by unbridled hatred, mutilation of the corpse, and the dumping of the victim's remains in public spaces. There is an undercurrent of intolerance towards anything that stands apart from the benchmark of what society considers normal. Where in our evolution as a species did we get the crazy idea that anyone different poses a threat to our existence? Yet intolerance is rife be it sexual, religious, or racial. The High Court in South Africa once found Julius Malema guilty of hate speech, but he continues to whip up his supporters' emotions along racial lines. Listen to this extract from one of his rallies. Victory will only be victory if the land is restored in the hands of rightful owners. And rightful owners is black people. What precisely is Malema talking about here? If he is referring to the subjugation of many at the hands of the few, then his argument is about the merits and demerits of colonialization and slavery. 
If he is referring to the unequal distribution of material wealth and assets, then he is talking about capitalism. If he is alluding to the European conquest of Africa, then he is speaking of opportunism and world dominance. You will have heard about the Pareto Principle. It is more commonly known as the 80-20 rule. Originally, the Pareto Principle referred to the observation that 80% of Italy's wealth belonged only to 20% of its population. The principle is an observation that most things in life are not distributed evenly, and this rule holds true across many general aspects of life, like 20% of the population holds 80% of the world's knowledge, and 20% of your effort yields 80% of your results. It is an observation about the inherent unfairness of life. When it comes to historically disadvantaged people, I fully agree with Malema that something needs to be done to rectify the imbalance. What I think is unhelpful and inflammatory is to throw the race card into the discussion. It divides people. It creates resentment and fear. When people feel under attack, they become defensive. While Malema's observations about inequality are correct, the way he incites racial hatred is dangerous. It's like saying that violent crime is a black phenomenon, a statement that will throw a hand grenade into any conversation. Some statements divide and destroy, others unite and build. As a nation, we know how tragic racial hatred was. Some of the population once believed that they were God's chosen because of the color of their skins, while denigrating others by labeling them as the devil's offspring. Apartheid principles and ideals led to much bloodshed. Some of the rhetoric about homosexuality on the African continent is similarly dangerous and could create a backdrop of beliefs that try to justify Volvo's awful murder. President Barack Obama talked about these dangers during his official visit to Kenya. Listen to what he said. With respect to uh, the rights of, of gays and lesbians, I've been consistent all across Africa on this. Uh, I believe in the principle of treating people equally under the law and that they are deserving of equal protection under the law, and that the state should not discriminate against people based on their sexual orientation. If you look at the history of countries around the world, when you start treating people differently, not because of any harm they're doing anybody, but because they're different, that's the path whereby freedoms begin to erode. But here is the Kenyan Prime Minister's reply to Obama. The fact of the matter is that Kenya and the United States, we share so many values. But there are some things that we must admit we don't share. Our culture, our societies don't accept. It's very difficult for us to be able to impose on people that which they themselves do not accept. This is why I repeatedly say that for Kenyans today, the issue of gay rights is really a non-issue. We want to focus 
on other areas that are day-to-day -day living for our people. But as of now, the fact remains that this issue is not really an issue that is on the foremost mind of Kenyans, and that is the fact. Homosexuality is not just a non-issue in Kenya, it's a crime. Sodomy laws prescribe jail terms of between 5 and 14 years for gay offenders. But there's a little twist in what President Uhuru Kenyatta said to Obama there in Nairobi. There are some things we don't share. Our culture, our societies don't accept. And it is very difficult for us to impose on people that which they don't accept. Does Kenyatta imply that gay rights are colonial values imposed on African cultures? Is he saying that homosexuality was never part of African culture and is another Eurocentric idiosyncrasy forced upon African people? Here's the Ugandan president's comments about Obama's gay rights proposals. What is your message to Western human rights groups to President Obama, respect, to lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender re people. Respect African societies and their values. If you don't agree, you just keep quiet. Let's manage our society the way we see. If we are wrong, we shall find out by ourselves. Just the way we don't interfere with yours. Mm. Do you personally dislike homosexuals? Of course, they are disgusting. What, what, what sort of people are they? How can you go? Uh, I, I, don't, uh, I never knew what they were doing. That's how I've been told recently that uh, what they do is terrible, disgusting. But I was, I was ready to ignore that if there was proof that that's how he's born, abnormal. But now the proof is not there. The gist of his message is clear respect African societies and their values. And again, the implication is that homosexuality was never part of African culture and tradition. This is also a view held by President Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe, who, during a United Nations debate, rejected the gay rights proposals of other nations. Nowhere does the Charter arrogate the right to some to sit in judgment over others in carrying out this universal obligation. In that regard, we reject the politicization of this important issue and the application of double standards to victimize those who dare think and act independently of the self-anointed prefects of our time. We equally reject attempts to prescribe new rights that are contrary to our values, norms, traditions, and beliefs. We are not gays. Joe Ankia, interviewed on Lip News about Mugabe's stance, makes these comments. So, what do you think about this? Can we all pick and choose what human rights we support and which we don't? 
It's, it's a very interesting issue. I see what Mugabe is saying. He's saying just because you decided that gay people have these rights, it doesn't mean you should be enforcing these views on the rest of the world. And while I'm not defending Mugabe uh, entirely, I do sort of see that this, this is a fine line. When we're talking about humanitarian issues uh, and we're talking about countries that have such a strong religious preference when it comes to things like this, um, is it America's right really to be enforcing our views and our opinions and our laws on the rest of the world? Let's reiterate what Mugabe said. We reject the politicization of this important issue. We equally reject attempts to prescribe new rights that are contrary to our values, norms, traditions and beliefs. We are not gays. This again points to the belief that gay rights and practices are only part of colonialized thinking and that homosexuality is not core to African values, norms, traditions and beliefs. Now, I cannot comment on whether this is so or not because I'm not an expert in this field, but I have a feeling that narrow-minded, colonialized religious beliefs that marched their way down the African continent with David Livingston merged with indigenous beliefs, creating a backdrop that tacitly fortifies hate crimes against people who are somewhat different from others. The South African government recently published a draft of the Prevention and Combating of Hate Crimes and Hate Speech Bill, under which crimes motivated by prejudice, bias or intolerance towards the victim on the basis of race, religion, gender identity or sexual orientation, amongst other forms of discrimination, will add an aggravating factor to the crime. The bill criminalizes hate speech, which is defined as any form of communication, written, verbal, or physical, that advocates hatred towards any other person or group of persons, or is threatening, abusive, or insulting towards any other person or group of persons. Many of us are so compassion-fatigued and overwhelmed by the hatred and intolerance in the world and try to cope with it through disassociation and depersonalization. We hide our feelings behind the statistics and detach from them by saying that this is at least not what's happening in my own backyard. Hide from it we may, but we need to understand where such diverse and intense hatred comes from and how we can personally do something to be the change we wish to see in the world. Here's a snippet from an SABC program, The Big Debate, recorded for the BBC in 2011. It sets the scene. Gay pride on the streets of Durban. South Africa has gone further than any other country in the world by enshrining gay rights in its constitution. But this legal protection doesn't always guarantee that people enjoy these rights in practice. This is Millicent Gaika. In May last year, she became the latest lesbian in South Africa's poor black townships to be subjected to a brutal sexual attack. Like many other lesbians, she underwent an ordeal known as corrective rape, carried out by gangs of youth who claim they intend converting their victims to heterosexuality. These attacks take place despite South Africa's laws aimed at protecting gay people. In 13 other African countries, homosexuality is also permitted by law. But, in the remaining 38 African nations, being gay is a crime. 
In three, it is punishable by the death penalty. Nowhere is the debate more polarized than here in Uganda. It is a sin. You can't have sex with another, another man. This is really contrary to God. I'm also against homosexuality because it's totally against our culture. Like imprisonment. It's a fair what? It's a fair punishment. Where do these attitudes come from? One place is the church. Pastor Martin Semper preaches to students at Makerere University in Kampala. The standard is a man is to marry what? A woman and the two shall become one. Therefore, if you have others, such as a man with another man, you have fallen short of the standard. A man with an animal, a donkey, a goat, you have fallen short of the Jesus laid the standard. Last year, a Uganda newspaper published the names and photographs of a hundred alleged homosexuals and called for them to be hanged. The newspaper's editor, Giles Muhammad, claims that homosexuals in Uganda recruit young people, encouraging them to be gay. It's this practice which he says justifies the death penalty. In my view, I also support this man, they should be hanged. Hmm? You'd like to see Yes, and the hanging should be public. The newspaper's publication of the identity of alleged homosexuals coincided with a new anti-gay bill introduced into Uganda's parliament by lawmaker David Bahati. It calls for life imprisonment for homosexuals and the death penalty for aggravated or repeated cases. If his bill were to become law, all Ugandans would be required to report homosexuals to the authorities. Similar anti-gay initiatives continue to be discussed in other African countries. Sylvia Tamale has conducted research into the history of same-sex relationships in Africa. She rejects the view that homosexuality is un-African. Gay people have always lived among communities. Everyone, you know, in the village would know that so-and-so, you know, sleeps with another man. But they, they were not vilified. They were not praised, but they were not vilified. That's my point. So all these anti-gay sentiments came from outside. Najib is a gay Ugandan man who lives in the slum of Bwaise in Kampala. He runs a support group for young gay men and women in his area. He believes that Uganda's lawmakers have their priorities wrong. We are gays because we are made to be gays. It's what we feel. The way you can't stop Bahati from being a straight guy to turn to to be a gay is the way he can't stop me or he can't stop us from being gays. This is our life and this is my life in particular. I really love it and I'm really proud of it. I really feel comfortable with guys. I've never felt women. So how, how will you force me to feel something? We've seen how intolerant the world can be to anyone who doesn't match up to society's norms and standards. We may celebrate legislation like the South African Constitution that upholds human rights and the proposed legislation outlawing hate speech. But we are also seeing a resurgence of conservatism, as proven by the American population's vote for Donald Trump as their president and Britain's rule to leave the European Union. These seem to be knee-jerk reactions against the ideas of collectivism, sharing and tolerance. Where, as a species, did we learn to be afraid of differences? How can we change this reactionary pattern of fear?
In the beginning, a long, long time ago, humans were an intrinsic part of nature. I've just returned from a delightful trip into the bush and marveled at how nature is in perfect balance. There's been a lot of recent rain which broke the drought, and the plant life responded quickly to this change. With an abundant food source, all other nature started to bounce back too. The universal laws of nature are the ones of survival of the fittest and natural selection. In hard times, weakened animals die off. Only the strong survive to pass their genes on to future generations. Seasonal hardships toughen genetic makeup, and this leads to stronger, more adaptable animals. If we liken, as is done in the Kabbalah, God to the sun, then everything that God gives, nature utilizes. It's a reactionary force that keeps balance amongst all things. God gives and nature takes. I suspect that this is the symbolic meaning of the Garden of Eden. The garden is a metaphor describing the perfect balance of all natural things, and it epitomizes the state of perfect balance that the earth was in at that time. Part of that perfect balance was the very cycle of birth, life and death, a natural rhythm that governed everything. It's hard to imagine prey and predator in the Garden of Eden, but it must have been like that. Just as life gave us the mechanism of flight and fight to promote survival, so did it supply endorphins to allow animals to surrender to the fate of being preyed upon. Early hominids were part of the balance of life, part of the Garden of Eden. These primitive humans were as reactionary as all other life. However, that was not nature's long-term intention. Our species developed a thinking, rational, logical consciousness which elevated us above all other forms of life here on this planet. It's interesting to note that there was a tree in the garden and the consumption of its fruit was forbidden. It, ironically, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does this mean in this highly encoded symbolic metaphor? Well, let's put it plainly. The knowledge of good and evil means the ability to judge and to discriminate between things. There's no point in comparing something against itself, but it adds layers of meaning to our comprehension when we compare something against something else. The only way we became capable of judgment and rational thinking was by developing a frontal cortex, the outer layer of our brains, that permit this type of thinking. I believe that the most plausible explanation for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden is that it symbolizes our evolutionary acquisition of a frontal cortex. As soon as this happened, we symbolically became aware of our nakedness. We became capable of comprehending things differently, and with it, the capital vices or cardinal sins entered into our consciousness too. We became aware of sin, a concept that was beyond the reach of the primitive brain. The seven deadly sins are pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth, none of which are comprehensible in a non-human brain. 
By developing a frontal cortex and having the ability to comprehend and indulge in the seven deadly sins, we figuratively barred ourselves from the paradise conditions of the Garden of Eden and set ourselves on an evolutionary wandering through the wilderness. This is figurative symbolism for a species adrift and apart from all other nature. Its destiny is held in the ingenuity of its own human mind. Our physical bodies still faithfully plod along the evolutionary pathway, obediently following at least one of the universal laws of nature, that of natural selection. However, the other law, the survival of the fittest, no longer controls us. For humans, it is now a case of the survival of the shrewdest, not necessarily the survival of the fittest. Our medical skills alter the course of nature, giving the weak tenure and longevity. If the Garden of Eden represents the perfect balance of nature, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil stands for our evolutionary development of a strategic brain, then there is still hope in the biblical prophecy of a paradise regained. How? Well, there wasn't just one tree in the Garden of Eden, but two of them. The other tree was the tree of life. The Bible speaks very little of the tree of life. In Judaism, the tree of life is represented in several examples of sacred geometry and is central to the Kabbalah teachings, where it is represented as a diagram of ten points. Christian teachings believe that the tree of life might represent the cross upon which Jesus was crucified and that life is only possible through Jesus' sacrifice. I suspect that most of the Bible's symbolic teachings are allegorical and refer to an inner spirituality which we can all attain. If I'm correct, there would have to be a process, be it spiritual, physical and or mental, that takes us as a species into a new realm along our evolutionary passage, to a destination symbolized by the tree of life and the paradise regained. I think that we are given clues to what this process or attitude might be. It's core to Jesus' teachings. If judgment set us apart and caused our suffering, then the suspension of judgment becomes the tree of life, which reunites us and places us back in paradise. Pause for a moment and think of how judgment colors your experience of life. You have likes and dislikes, and they're all based on some form of opinion, which is of itself a judgment. Notice how you favor some people and despise others. Another judgment, not so? Judgment leads you to seek more of certain aspects of life and less of others. Judgment determines the kinds of food you eat, the brands you choose to use, and the friends you keep. Judgment is the prerequisite for intolerance. And intolerance is the precursor to hatred. Contemplate this for a moment. What would life be like if you suspended all forms of judgment? This is the style of living Jesus highly recommended. Life would then be abundant and rich with celebration. We would welcome diversity to add texture to life. So let's leave the final word to the former Archbishop Desmond Tutu. My dear friends, today I appeal to our common humanity.
the proud ideals of the United Nations are equality, dignity, and respect for all, a goal that unites us across our great diversity. All over the world, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people are persecuted. They face violence, torture, and criminal sanctions because of how they live and whom they love. We make them doubt that they too are children of God. And this must be nearly the ultimate blasphemy. In South Africa, we struggled for years against the evil system of apartheid that divided human beings, children of the same God, by racial classification and then denied many of them fundamental human rights. Thankfully, the world supported us in our struggle for freedom and dignity. I am proud that in South Africa, when we finally won the chance to build a new constitution, we included sexual orientation in our laws because we knew from our bitter experience that an injury to one is an injury to all. Once again, however, people are being denied fundamental rights and freedoms. Gay men have been jailed and humiliated, transgender people attacked, lesbians raped. Our lesbian and gay brothers and sisters across Africa and elsewhere are living in fear and they are living in hiding away from care, away from the protection the state should offer to every citizen and away from health care when all of us, especially Africans, need access to essential HIV services. This wave of hate must stop. Sexual orientation like skin color is a feature of our diversity. How sad it is that when God's children are facing such massive problems, poverty, disease, corruption, conflict, who are so often obsessed with human sexuality. Is there not already too much hate in this world without also seeking to persecute those who love? Gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people are part of so many families. They are part of the human family. They are part of God's family. And of course, they are part of the African family. You at the United Nations have a particular role to play. You have a responsibility. Whenever one group of human beings is treated as inferior to another, hatred and intolerance will triumph. Lesbians, gays, bisexuals, transgender people, they are our sons and daughters, our family and friends, our colleagues and co-workers. They are equal members of the human family whose rights you have sworn to uphold. Those who face hatred 
violence and criminal sanctions look to you for leadership. They look to you for protection. They look to you for recognition of their right to equal dignity and respect. Do not fail them. You must stand up for the principles of universal humanity and fellowship. Exclusion is never the way forward on our shared paths to freedom and justice. Thank you for listening to Soul Searching here on Gay SA Radio. Your comments and suggestions help shape the show, and I'm always happy to receive them. Write to me at studio at gaysaradio.co.za or post on the station's social media platforms using the hashtag GaySARadio. This program premieres on Sundays at 5 p.m. and repeats the following Sunday at 8 a.m. A full set of podcasts of the show is available on the station's website, gaysaradio.co.za. My name is Tom Budge. Until next time, goodbye.